Welcome to the Pure Flix Podcast, a show brought to you by PureFlix.com. PureFlix.com, the faith, family, and fun video streaming service. Get ready for uplifting news, scripture, movie reviews, and interviews with some of your favorite actors, authors, and pastors. Let's get started. Hey, it's Billy Hollowell, and welcome to this special season finale episode of the Pure Flix podcast. And I am elated. That is the word I'm looking for. I usually say excited, but I am elated today for so many reasons. And one of them is that we are welcoming Thor Ramsey to the show. If you're not familiar with Thor, he is a comedian, he's a writer, he's an actor, and it's crazy. He's also a pastor. He's got this incredible crazy backstory and who better to join us for our season finale here of the Pure Flix podcast than Thor Ramsey. We're going to talk about that crazy story, that wild background, and really how God recaptured his heart, led him back to the Lord, how he became a comedian, how he ended up then becoming a pastor. So there's a lot to unpack here. We'll also be talking about his new movie, Church People, which you can watch right now on Pure Flix. So with no further ado, let's welcome Welcome Thor Ramsey to the season finale of the Pure Flix podcast. Thor, how's it going? It's great. It's going great. Good to be here, Billy. All right. So we we are going to talk about a lot of things today. We're going to talk about Church People, a movie that you wrote and you starred in that is on Pure Flix. But before we get there, I've got to ask you, you have one of the craziest backgrounds, and I mean that in a nice way, Good. but it's crazy. You are a pastor and you are a comedian. How does how does that happen? How does a person become both of those things? Well, uh, I'll try to give you the short version, but gen- you know, when people say, long story short, there's just no such thing when they start talking, especially myself. But so I be so I'll, I'll I'll try to give a really short version. When I hit college, I didn't even know what the resurrection was. Like I, you know, I grew up in a kind of a nominal. Clearly nominal, <laughs> very <laughs> nominal. You know, if you don't if you don't know what the resurrection is, clearly you grew up in a nominal Christian church. And so, like, I grew up in one of those churches. I'm not even sure our pastor was saved. You know, I'm not even sure he was a Christian. But but they were, they changed him every three years. So there was you know like hopefully the next guy will get Maybe you the next one. Yeah. So but and then we were kind of Christmas Easter Christians. But we we would go and then we would like this was nice and then we'd start going a little more and then it would taper off. But the point is, I didn't know what the resurrection was when I entered college. My first roommate in college was a Christian. So he was like, you know, sharing the gospel. I'm like, Jesus did what? Rose, you know, rose from the dead. So became a Christian. My freshman year of college was a really committed believer. You know, I can say that for three years, but really had really bad theology. And I will say, this is why I'm really big on theology now, because theology shipwrecked, bad theology shipwrecked my Christian life. And uh, so I went a decade where I fell away. And within that, in, in that decade where I fell away from the faith, so to speak, and I didn't even consider myself a Christian anymore. So secretly, I still believed everything. But lifestyle wise, you would have thought I was the furthest away from the kingdom of God of anyone you'd ever met. Wow. And so um, it was in that period that I became a stand up comedian. Because it was one of those things I always thought about doing. I just had always been attracted. To, I, I remember sneaking up when I was a little kid, sneaking downstairs, my dad would be watching tonight. Uh, he'd be watching the tonight show and he'd let me crawl in his lap and watch it with him. Cause mom was in bed. She would never let me do that, but dad would. <laughs> so 
Um, but I remember the standups. And even though I didn't understand what was happening, there was just, you know, people talk about falling in love with a theater. And I just remember this lone person talking to this crowd I couldn't see, but I could hear them. Um, and that's really the experience in stand-up clubs back in the day when you'd have this spotlight on you and you really couldn't see the crowd and you really just heard them for because the, stand-up clubs used to be really uh, dark <laughs> in more than yeah. one way. But uh, <laughs> Can um, I pause for a minute? What, what would yeah. you have done? So like, let's say you didn't go into stand-up. Did you have another career that you were thinking about? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, screenwriter. I, went, I really got into stand-up uh, in one sense, I mean, I, I love stand-up, but I loved movies. I, I always loved movies. And so I wanted to be a, a, a screenwriter. I, I was trying, my mom was taking dictation. I was writing a sequel to Swiss Family Robinson when I was about 10 years old, and uh, dictating to my mom. And then I would, I'd take my G.I. Joe and go up on the stairway and ask my mom, tell me when two hours, because I asked how long's a movie? And she'd say two hours. And so I tell me when two hours is up because I was acting out a movie with my GI Joe. So, uh, but I used to do that uh, all the time. So I really got into stand up in one sense because it was the lowest rung into show business. You could still, you know, at the time I was thinking, well, as I do stand up, I can work on screenplays. Not realizing stand up to become proficient at stand up, you have to devote a lot of time to it. You know, it's like the if you uh, I read a biography of the Beatles years ago, but it was that same idea that. Um, I can't think of his name. Uh, he's a famous New York Times bestselling author, writes uh, like anyway. Uh, I know maybe his name will come to me, but he he talked about the Beatles in one of his books, and because the book was really about uh, just be, becoming excellent at what you do, just takes you have to do it over and over and over and over and over again, and and that was stand up. You have to write a lot, you have to fail a lot. And, uh, you know, like even Seinfeld said years ago, it's like for every 10 jokes you write, one works. So you have to go through a lot of jokes to get a joke that works. And uh, a lot of so trial and error, it seems like. I would actually just have to devote to stand up. So I, so screenwriting took a back burner. But, you know, there's one thing about me, and you're a writer, so you know this, no writing is ever wasted. Uh, whether you're writing stand up or writing, and I used to write, like, no, I still have all these notebooks filled with, ideas I didn't even get a chance to try, but, um, or even jokes I didn't, I never tried, but no writing is ever waste. You save everything. Cause you might be able to recycle it someday. And some other, you know, you know, you might write something in a novel that you put in a screenplay or you might write a screenplay that you turn into a novel or, you know, you write stand up. Were, were you, were you, I, I gotta, I gotta ask you this. Cause I'm curious, you went into this, you, you were sort of in this, you know, fog period where your faith was yeah. sort of pushed to the side. Were you a clean comedian at that point? Were you not? I'm just curious about how you approached comedy during. Yeah. That time. So initially I was uh, just because so, and you know, your Christian audience, I assume this audience is, yeah, it's pure, pure flex. It's going to be a Christian audience. Um, so most Christians know about this uh, little thing called the uh, searing of the conscience. <laughs> so, and it's, it's really this idea. And I think it's a biblical idea that, um, it's the conscience is how the Bible itself, the truth, the revealed truth of the Bible plays upon our soul and how our soul deals with it in terms of, of uh, uh, agreeing with it, saying amen to it, in other words, and wanting to live by it and then struggling at times when we feel convicted by it. And uh, so and that's really in one sense, that's God being relational with us. He's just using a means, the Bible. So. Um, I'm big on this. If you open the Bible, you're hearing the word of God. 
there. You've heard God speak. If you open the Bible, you don't need to feel like God's speaking. It, just go with faith. If you open the Bible, God is speaking. Um, because I come from a background where I'd open the Bible. I'd pray that God would speak to me opening the Bible, which is really a ridiculous prayer in one sense, because if you've opened it, he's speaking. So if you're right, saying, speak there. to me now, what you're really asking for is some sort of, you're asking for an experience to confirm this is the word of God. Now, sometimes we have those, but I'm just saying that's not faith. Faith is opening the Bible, trusting God is speaking to you right then. So I really encourage people stay away. Don't seek the subjective. If it, if it happens, that's fantastic. But we have an objective reality that God has spoken to us in the Bible. Now I've started preaching right there. No, I was just going to say, this is the, we're talking about, you were talking about comedy. You went into the pastor. So now I'm seeing these yeah, dual so, people that you are here. Yeah. So um, as a standup, so yeah, I had this, I, so I started clean, you know, because that's, again, I was fresh. I was still had the sensibilities of a Christian, the mindset of a Christian, and my lifestyle was still relatively, you know, uh, clean, but this is what the enemy does. If the enemy can get you drifting, uh, like for instance, some people fall away because of a sin, but sometimes the enemy gets you not because of a sin per se, like some big, when I say sin, of course we're all sinners, but I mean, you know, you're not having a, you're not having, uh, some sort of illicit sexual affair or sex outside of marriage or so, so the big sins that kind of, you know, you're embezzling from your con your company or something like that. It's just the, they, you're just drifting away at this point. You're not being pulled away by anything, but once you're drifting away, then he'll snag you with something um, because you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not, uh, you're not anchored anymore, so to speak, to the, to your relationship uh, with the Lord. And so I started clean as I drifted away, and then you get influenced by other comedians, you know. Um, it's like and anything so, else, right? I mean, you start putting yourself around something, it's going to influence you. That's exactly it. Yeah. And uh, and so eventually I I became dirty, so dirty that I remember at the Funny Bone uh, Comedy Club in in uh, Schaumburg, Illinois, I think it was Schaumburg, uh, the, the manager says, I can't have you back. You're too dirty. And, uh, wow. and yeah, so that's how dirty I became. And then what did that I feel did like to hear as somebody who had that? faith background and had kind of pushed it to the side, but what was that like to hear? Uh, well, the, see, that's the thing about your con. I mean, I share a story, you know, I've, I'm working on, an, I've got a novel that's going to press this year. So I'm just finishing up the, uh, you know, the galleys of it, look going through and making sure that there's no errors, but, uh, you know, I share this story. It's a, a fictionalized version, but I share this story in there, but the, the gist of it is this, that sins that really bothered you initially you know even as you fall away there's still you still struggle with your conscience so my conscience initially is sensitive and then as you push through the sins as you push through and actually commit the sins and ignore it your worn down you get worn down you too. get worn, and, and your conscience because it's it's like uh, building up a callus it's it's yeah. really that's what the hardening of your heart is it's like the building up of a callus so your heart is less sensitive and let's let's be clear it's not, uh, it's not, we're not um, doing a, you know, we're not flattening the landscape here. Some areas you harden yourself to, other areas you still might be sensitive to. So right. you're emotional, you can be all over the map, both emotionally and intellectually, but you continually harden yourself to certain things. And so then a year later, you look back at that particular uh, sin and you laugh at yourself. And so that's the state of mind I was in. Um, How did I, you... 
So so you get to that point where somebody says, you can't come back. You're too dirty. So you went yes. – you started clean. And I think what you just described is so important. That happens to all of us in life if we're not careful, if we drift away. And I think that's yeah. a great way of explaining it. But that can exacerbate and, and, and actually move faster sometimes as you start to well, go into those things. We can learn yeah. something from veggie tales. You know, it's like the, the lie that keeps growing. That's the yeah, exactly. idea. It's just, it's the, you know. Um, so, so how did you, how did you, what was your breaking point? And, and maybe it was more of a gradual process of drifting back, but what was it that brought you back where you said, not just do I need to come back, I need to actually live this authentic faith. Well, there were two. So I can tell you what brought, what made me a clean comedian and then what brought me back to the faith. So the first thing was, I was working in Orlando, Florida. Um, they have a big amphitheater there that Disney bought for the city. And they basically told us, um, so we, I think we were all doing like 15 minutes and that's what saved us because they said, no, no, you can't be dirty. You can't cuss. Everything's gotta be family friendly. And literally there were five of us backstage of this amphitheater going, do we have an act? I mean, we're we're like putting together, like what's what's the cleanest, we're putting our set list together in the back, figuring out what clean things we can what's do. What's left? What's left what, after what's we cut left? all of this out? Yeah. Yes. And so, but I remember, and there was, I, I performed that night and there were literally, I did a clean set and there were, the ages was eight to 80, literally. And it was, and, then, and like, and like 1500 people showed up for this event. So the laughter was amazing. The crowd was amazing. And I remember after that event, it just, it just felt good to reach that many people and to perform for that wide a demographic. And for me, it just felt, it felt personally rewarding. Uh, and so at that point, then I cleaned up my act. Then I started to become clean again. So you and, drifted uh, back, really, but yeah. not your faith yet, but not your faith, not my yet, faith yet. And that okay. came. So, so I started working clean again. Um, and, and when I started, you know, I, I worked clean because all the guys who mentored me said, look, if you ever want to do television, you got to work clean. They call it TV clean at the time. You couldn't get on television you know, until uh, you were working clean, but then cable changed everything. You could become famous by being dirty. Cause when I started uh, the dirty shows were a special night, a one night only special dirty, sh you know, whatever they call them, triple X show or whatever. Um, and clean was standard throughout the week at the comedy clubs that were open Tuesday through Sunday. A lot of them, two shows on Friday, three shows on Saturday. And, um, and now it's flipped or at least the last, you know, a decade ago when I was in clubs, it said flip that the clean, our clean shows now, because I used to do, you know, one night to clean shows monthly at uh, the, some of the improvs out here in California called Pure Comedy, started in a church, moved to the clubs, it was just one night. And so our night was the special clean night. And now it's just, it's reversed, like every night, it's like, you, you don't know what you're going to get. And I think they've hurt their audience, because everyone, you could get a wide demographic at a comedy club, back in the day. And now I think it's really specialized. And um, well, I just think the cultural landscape has changed. So that changes comedy. Um, then so what happened is I got married. And, uh, and that's really what brought me back to my relationship with Christ. Because, uh, you know, if you've been married, or you are married, you know, all of a sudden, you find out life is just, marriage, marriage, married life is just different. And yeah, uh, yeah. And life gets like, real. It's real life. And you're like, wow, I'm gonna need I'm going to need outside help to survive this. <laughs> and I still had that whole like, well, I know that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. I, I never stopped believing that. And oddly enough, as, as, as much as I, you know, what was as, as far as I fell, I used to call my, I used to call myself a fallen believer. As far as I fell, 
away from the faith and away from the Lord. I still always believed one day I'd have to return just because I couldn't shake the reality. So that's one thing. So my novel's about a guy who who's trying to deconvert, but just can't shake the faith. He wants to deconvert. He wants to become ex-evangelical and he just can't shake it. And, uh, and that's a little bit my own experience. Like I wasn't trying to shake the faith, but I realized like, I never, I never entered into any beliefs that were what we'd call heretical, or I, ne I never stopped believing the the basic tenets of the faith um, in terms of that it was the truth. Now I still had some bad ideas and bad theology, but uh, but it always stuck with me. This is the truth, and because it's the truth, one day I will have to return to it. And so you kind of uh, had that in the back of your mind when you got married. Was there a definitive moment, or was it just a process in? your life coming together where it, you started to back move back into those motions of faith. Yeah, I, it was. Um, now my wife, I knew my wife was open to the faith. Otherwise I wouldn't have, you know, we wouldn't have uh, married, but so I had to at least marry someone who was. Well, and now she's know, a pastor's wife. So yeah, now she's a pastor. She didn't sign up for that either. She didn't. <laughs> so I tricked her in that sense, but uh, um, well, I will say this. I know it, it was just, you got to, a, I got to a, a place of brokenness. Because in my mind, I always thought I'm going to go back and really do it upright. It was really, and it was like I did. I had no. This is why I'm talking about bad theology. I had no concept of grace. Now I knew the basic gospel. I'm saved because Jesus died for me, and you know. But practically speaking, and this is really why I fell away. I was being sanctified by works. I was saved by faith, but God was accepting me based upon my behavior, and so I, I had somehow conflated justification and sanctification. I think a lot of Christians do. We put them together and all of a sudden our justification is our behavior, even though we might not admit that uh, verbally or even, you know, consciously, but subconsciously, that's how we're living, that our behavior, our, our, our obedience or lack of obedience is how God's accepting us. And then when you feel continually, it's like, you know, being in a relation with a parent that you're always disappointing. At some point, you don't want to be around that person anymore because, it's just emotionally draining to always feel like you're a failure and a disappointment. So that was really the cause of my going away. It's like, I'm tired of just, I'm tired of feeling condemned continually. And, and that's how the enemy gets you. A lot of times he'll, he, he, I think one of his greatest weapons is discouragement. If he can just discourage you and beat you down. Cause when you're discouraged, what do you do? You give up. Yeah, you're was, hopeless. You're hopeless. When you're discouraged, you're hopeless. you're hopeless. You're not seeking any God's will for your life. Generally. I mean, sometimes you are, but you're, you're kind of stuck. And when you're stuck, you can get confused. And when you're confused, yeah. you can get lost. Right. So it's a, yeah, it's a slippery slope from there. Yeah. And so that's really where I was in, my, in our marriage. I was just, but I was at a point where I knew that I couldn't see, see when you're, when you're single, you can look to other places and other things to try to fix yourself, so to speak. And, uh, and, and in marriage, I knew that my only hope was going to be God. And I knew he was real. And I knew, um, you know, I, so I basically prayed, you know, this was my prayer. God, if you can do something with my life, it's yours. And that was literally my prayer. And, uh, and, I, and I'd said to him over and over, it's like, you're going to have to. And this is and I, my concept of grace was just not, I didn't really have a good concept of grace because I was saying, you know, you're going to have to do this because I can't, because I, I'd gotten to the place morally. I just didn't have any moral resolve. Like I didn't have this willpower to turn over a new leaf and try to become a, a, a different kind of person. I just, I, that was not in me anymore. You know, it's like you put yourself in a certain situation and you've just, this has become your life now. And like, I can't, 
I don't know how to change that. I don't know how to, you, well, you're going, how do you change your own heart? That's really right. what it is. And I couldn't. And, uh, and right away, it's like, man, things started changing. And I, so I, I, all I said to the Lord is I go, I'm going to pray and read the Bible five minutes a day. And literally I didn't know if I could last a week. Like I did every day I did that. I, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be a Christian at the end of this day, but I want to do it again. But, uh, the first night, you know, so I made that commitment to the Lord. Um, and my wife and I were, we're on the road together at this time. Cause she used to travel all the time too. So our initial relationship, we were just, we were like coordinate our coordinating our, our calendars, seeing what cities we would be able to be with each other in. And, uh, and we were married at this time and then we were on the road and that night, my wife and I were having dinner at a pizza hut in a little town in Michigan. And I wanted to tell her that I prayed to the Lord today and I wanted us to start going to church. And I, I just could, I was Here's the person I'm, who's most familiar with me in life, most intimate with me, and I can't even get this little, because this is the thing about faith. Faith is really intimate, uh, even when you're sharing it with a person. So I just, I couldn't get it out. So I did that, you know, shot up a real quick prayer, something, you know, along the lines of help. And moments later, my wife goes, do you, my wife goes, do you have something you want to tell me? And I'm like, wow. And I was like, I was amazed because it was my first answer to prayer. I'm like, this is, God, he, he answered, he just answered a prayer. He heard so, me. He heard me. So I told her. And then the, the next day I started my commitment of praying and reading the Bible for five minutes. Uh, and that was a package deal. It wasn't like I was going to read the Bible for five minutes and then pray. It was like, I pray a little and then read the Bible. And that was five minutes total. It was just like, that's as much as I, and I didn't, you know, again, uh, if I could even, if I could even fulfill that commitment, but I started in the gospel of John, I'm reading through it. And there's a story in there where Philip and Nathaniel, uh, Philip, comes to Nathaniel and says, I found the Messiah. I found the savior. And Nathaniel's like, where's he from? And, and Philip says, he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel's like, nothing good comes out of there. That's a bad neighborhood. And then Jesus uh, comes and uh, meets Nathaniel and says that you are, a, you know, you're, he basically says, you're a really honest person. You have integrity. And Nathaniel's like, how do you know even, how do you know who I am? And Jesus is like, I saw you while you were sitting under the fig tree. So, you know, cause he was up on the fig tree alone. Um, and that amazed that amazed Nathaniel, and he fell to his knees. And basically, because I said I saw you under the fig tree, you believe because of that. He goes, "I promise you, you'll see greater things than that." And when I read that, that was one of those moments where the word of God just leapt off, and just it was like God was saying that to me. It was God saying, "You're amazed because I answered a little prayer in a Pizza Hut. I promise you, you'll see greater things than that." And that promise from the word of God, from the gospel of John, got me through my first year uh, as I came back to the Lord. And my wife was really open. She was really happy. We started attending the Moody Bible Church. And that was really the journey that started me back in my daily walk with Christ. And I was still doing, you know, uh, secular comedy clubs at that time. And I would say in terms of ministry wise, in terms of um, really reaching people, <laughs> in terms of impacting people with the story of the gospel. That was one of them. That was one of the most fruitful seasons of my life because in comedy clubs, you basically room with these other comedians in what they call a comedy condo, or you spend a week together at the same hotel, but you end up really hanging out together for a week, just eating meals together and going to movies together. And, and so there's just all this time of getting to know one another. And in that environment, I mean, I can't tell you how many copies of I don't think they make it anymore, but they, they used to publish the first 70 pages of mere Christianity as its own little book. And that first 70 pages is phenomenal 
to give to someone who is um, just not familiar with or who's skeptical of Christianity or is far from Christianity or just is open to hearing some arguments, but it's, it's the book I gave away the most. Um, you know, I'd work with a comic for a week. And then at the end of that week, I'd, you know, just say, here's a, you know, just from the conversations we had, you might want to check this out. And I'd, comedic I'd, evangelism. Yeah. I like yeah. It. I yeah. like it. So, so obviously you move forward and the irony here, and this is what I think is so amazing about your story is that, you become a pastor as well. And so somebody who isn't sure where their journey is, they're, they're kind of all over the place. They push faith to the side. You came back to faith, not only came back to faith, you're then evangelizing within the comedic world. You move into ministry and your dream of screenwriting, which was your initial, we go back to what you were saying. Yeah. That's what you want to do. You obviously have written a novel. You wrote a movie and starred in it called Church People. And yeah. the fun thing about this movie is it's about, a church and in a pastoral scenario yeah. and it's comedy, right? So the, the things you are, are ingrained in this film. Tell us a little bit about church people. I remember um, I wanted to write uh, a Christian comedy and it wasn't a comedy that was making fun of the church. It was just in the church world, you know? So it was really about a youth pastor in crisis and uh, and I just kind of had this snapshot, but I had a meeting with uh, this the um, faith division of Sony Pictures. You know, I pitched them. I had these two completed screenplays, but they were just secular romantic comedies. They were just general market clean comedies. And they were like, did, did you prepare for this meeting at all? Because we're like, we're the faith division. We'd like, you know, a movie with some faith in it. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I've got this uh, screenplay I'm working on about a youth pastor in crisis and kind of vaguely talked about it. And they, we'd like to see that. So I, my, my computer was in the shop, so I didn't exactly lie, but I said, well, my computer's in the shop, so give me a week. I didn't tell them I hadn't finished the script yet. So I went home that week and finished the script, sent it off to them. Uh, uh, Josh Nadler was one of the guys. I think he's still over there at, uh, at with Sony, but Josh gave me notes over the phone. I did it. He did this five times, and I didn't realize, like, this is not standard, but, you know, he was – I always – give him uh, great credit because had he not done that, I don't know if church people ever would have existed because during one of the last rewrites uh, and he was always really encouraging about the content and the material, but Josh said to me, what, what he said, what your story needs right now is a big idea to bring everything together, to bring all the characters together. I'm like, okay, big idea. Let me, uh, hmm, I don't know what that is, I, you know, but I'm, my antenna's up for, a, I'm looking for a big idea now, but, uh, and this is, when I was involved in the church plant and, uh, and I was really best friends with the, uh, with the pastor who planted that church. And he calls me up one day and he says, you're not going to believe what this huge mega church that is nationally known is doing on good Friday. I'm like, well, tell me, what are they doing? Is they're actually crucifying someone on good Friday. I'm like, there's no way. He's like, yeah, I'm on their social media page right now. So I'm like, I got to check this out. So I go check it out. And it turns out they were they weren't actually crucifying someone, but it, their advertisement made it seem like they were gonna they were gonna do a passion play that was so realistic. They had all these warnings about blood and squeamishness. So if you read it really quickly, it seemed like they were literally gonna crucify someone, but they were just doing a play. But it was gonna be really graphic. But it, it occurred to me that. So many pastors, probably through the best of intentions, I'm assuming, had done so many crazy things to attract people to church 
that for a moment, my friend and I actually believed that an American evangelical church would literally crucify someone on a Good Friday <laughs> as a publicity stunt. And right then I knew, I go, there's the big idea. And that then became the really the crux of uh, the story youth group, which then became church people. And that really remained uh, the crux of the story throughout uh, every version of the script. Uh, and so that's kind of where it came about. And uh, and I always say this to people like church people is a satire, but you can only satirize what you love. Um, so it's not mean spirited at all. I mean, sometimes you can see like once in a while, I'll see an advertisement for a film that kind of has a, you can tell it's, it's got like an evangelical undertone to it, but you can tell that the people who've written it don't, they don't love Jesus and they don't love the church. And you can tell that just from the trailer itself. Right. You could pick it up from that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as somebody who does love the church, you've got this movie, Church People, which if people have not seen it yet, it is streaming on Pure Flix. You can watch it and you can laugh and you can enjoy it. But what is the big takeaway? Just as we sort of round out to a close here, you've shared your story. You've told us where you come from, which is actually really interesting in light of the movie and where the movie is. But what is the big walk away after watching this film? Well, um, now – I did not begin church people as a, here's the, you know, cause I, and this is my critique of Christian film in general, start with a story. Don't start with the message, because if you're writing from a Christian worldview, the worldview is there. Your Christian worldview is going to be there. Start with the story because the story is what it compels people. And that's good uh, storytelling. Tell yeah, a good, good story, storytelling. Right? Yeah. And so that's, yeah. so I started church people just with the, cause I thought it was a funny idea. Um, and, and I, and it is, I still think it is a funny idea. And so that's what I started with and, and everything developed around that. And the message now, because of the environment and it's dealing with the, it really started dealing with the idea that churches feel they have to help the gospel along, that the gospel itself is not compelling enough to people. So let's add whistles and bells to it and smoke mirrors and give away big screen TVs and, and, uh, and have some, let, let's have a reptile show right after the Easter service or some, whatever it's going to be. Uh, you know, what if you dress up in a Superman costume for your message? What if you literally have, you know, BMX bikes jumping over you during your message about the power of the Holy Spirit? And here's the crazy thing. We didn't make any of that up. That I didn't make any of that. That churches have done all those things. <laughs> I, I was just reporting in one sense. And so the, the takeaway is basically, and, and they did a great job in the trailer, the uh, Collide Media that put the trailer together. Um, I will put that tra if, if they had awards for trailers, I'd put that trailer up against any trailer out there in terms of secular or Christian. Like they did such a great job with that trailer. And the trailer really says that the gospel. Well, they asked the question, is the gospel enough? And that's really the takeaway. You know, Scripture says that God's given us everything we need for life and godliness. And what we do is even as Christians, a lot of times we we feel like it's not enough. We need to go to other sources, other places. Um, you know, it's not to say that, uh, it, you know, and again, we're not, uh, flattening the landscape here. You know, if, if you, if you have, you know, uh, some sort of medical issue, of course you go to outside sources. I'm just talking about just in terms of our general everyday relationship with Christ, which makes the relationship in every other, it, it impacts every other area of our lives. We have everything we need in, in the scriptures, like everything we need for life and to be like Christ, to grow in our Christ. Uh, likeness. And I think that's the takeaway of the movie. It's like the gospel is enough. Jesus is enough. We don't, you don't have to try to make Jesus more interesting. He's interesting enough. If he's compelling to you, 
uh, then he'll be compelling to others when you talk about him. And so that's kind of the takeaway, I would say. Well, that is a that is a wonderful way for us to close this up, that Jesus is enough, that the gospel is enough. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Hey, Billy, thanks for endure- and, uh, just being so patient with my... Uh, <laughs> I, I tend to talk a lot. So well, I love thanks. it. I love this story, <laughs> but your story is really compelling. It's important. And I think a lot of people out there, I know there are people watching and listening who can relate to that, who maybe are in that same kind of 10 year period right now. Like maybe they're yeah. in that and hearing yeah. what you had to say, I was really inspiring. And the movie, the movie is church people. People can watch it right now over at Pure Flix. Thanks again. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Did you know you can access thousands of entertaining and inspiring faith and family-friendly TV shows, movies, and original series? It's simple. Just log on to pureflix.com right now to start your free trial. From kids' content to some of the most uplifting films, we've got your entire family covered. Sign up today. That was Thor Ramsey. The movie is Church People. You can stream it right now over on Pure Flix. And just as we round out to a close here, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us here on the podcast, talking about faith, culture, entertainment. I mean, these topics are so important and the guests are so incredible. And I'm just happy that we got to close out this season with Thor Ramsey and hope to see you very soon for another season of the Pure Flix podcast. Thank you so much. In the meantime, head over to pureflix.com. You can grab a free trial, check out the service. Also, if you're not following Pure Flix on Facebook, go over to facebook.com slash pureflix. You can find us on other social media platforms as well. And we'll see you again very soon. Signing off for this season, I'm Billy Hollowell. That's all for today's podcast. You can follow Pure Flix on Facebook at facebook.com slash pureflix and on Twitter at pureflix. And be sure to log on today to pureflix.com for thousands of faith and family-friendly movies and TV shows. Thanks for listening to the Pure Flix podcast.